on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday. Happy opening day, everybody, in the MLB. Hope you're all doing well on this Thursday, March 30th, 2023. Again, opening day in Major League Baseball. And uh, hope you're all doing well on a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. Sun is shining, not a cloud in the sky. It's a perfect day for opening day often though and um nobody's playing here in Auburn but that's okay Lee Scott plays tonight that's really good Lee Scott baseball plays tonight and uh I will be over at Lee Scott coming up in just a little bit I've got Lee Scott baseball we have a double header this afternoon versus area opponent Macon East and so excited to uh, go over there to uh and, and watch Lee Scott baseball this afternoon and call Lee Scott baseball and so excited to do that I will be here for about 30 minutes today then Carter will uh fly solo for about 30 minutes on the back end of hour number one then christian clemente will join for hour number two our recruiting guru from auburn 247 and uh, we'll get his thoughts on everything going on with auburn spring practice recruiting how all of that ties together uh transfer portal stuff coming up all that good stuff so that'll be coming up in hour number two but jacob go with carter bird with you here on espn 106.7 auburn opelika sports leader for the thursday edition of on the line and uh again carter happy opening day Happy opening day. I love that we are this time of the year. Um, love when uh, Major League Baseball is out there and happening. And uh, we're watching a little bit of the Braves up here on the television. Yeah. And uh, on my computer, I've got your Red Sox and a 1-1 tie against yes. the uh, Orioles. Yeah. Red Sox not expected to do a whole lot this year. I think playoffs <laughs> are... Uh, playoffs are the expectation or the goal maybe maybe just the goal but uh, yeah we're going to talk opening day coming up in just a few minutes but again uh, I'll be here for the first 30 minutes then going over to call Lee Scott baseball on AU 100 uh, that's 100.3 on your radio dial or you can go to AU 100 fm.com again a big doubleheader today versus making East Warriors have to win game one uh, if they want to stay in the race for the two seed in the region so as we come down the home stretch getting into the month of April uh, some big games going on this afternoon over at Lee Scott so you can join me on AU 100 on the Lee Scott Sports Network 331st pitch for game one 531st pitch for game two so that'll be this afternoon but let's talk some opening day as we have some games going on right now you mentioned the Braves they're up 4-2 on the Nationals to start this 2023 campaign Red Sox and Orioles tied at one apiece Yankees are up 3-0 on the Giants Aaron Judge Uh, As their radio broadcaster said, he picked up right where he left off. He has the first home run of the season to put the Yankees up 1-0. They're now up 3-0, and then the Brewers and the Cubs tied at zero. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, early time of the year, uh, you always get some interesting stuff that maybe uh, is not going to sustain itself. You'll see a bad team or two get off to a really red-hot start. You'll see a a good team, a team that'll, that'll go deep in the postseason, kind of have a little rocky start and uh like last year I think about the Reds weren't 
horrible in the opening series against the Braves. The Braves were really bad in that series. Yeah. And then you saw how both of those teams went opposite ways. At one point in time, the Reds were, uh, I think, on pace to just obliterate the record for most losses. I think they're on pace to lose like 120 games. It's so at bad. One point. <laughs> um, but they they ended up kind of like, I guess, being not embarrassingly awful. Not not record-setting awful. Let's mm-hmm. say that. They were still embarrassingly bad. Uh, and I will never forget when <laughs> I was watching that Braves game last year on opening day, and they interviewed the, the Reds, um, I guess it's either Reds president or general manager, about the team and the lack of like additions that they had. And he goes, where are you going to go? Talking about Reds fans. Oh. Like, hey, which is oh, the worst so message bad. you could possibly that's send That's so bad. I mean, they, <laughs> that's so bad. He basically said, are you going to go support another team than the one that you've been a fan of your entire life? I mean, that's um, that's one way to put it, I guess. But uh, yeah, we, we did see that last year where the Reds jumped on the Braves early. The Braves had a slow start uh, to the season and had to turn it on late in the season to make the postseason. Obviously made a big run uh, from that point on. But yeah, you look at the Braves right now up 4-2, bottom of the sixth inning against the Nationals playing yet again away from Atlanta to open up the season. It is 50 degrees in Washington, D.C. So cold affecting some of these games in Boston right now. You gotta wonder if the cold with some of the stuff that happened mm -hmm. to Max Fried had to exit the game with that left hammy discomfort. Uh, I wonder if the cold kind of uh, affected him. Yeah, on yeah. It, play when he was covering first base. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going to say is is you've got it 50 degrees in D.C. It's 38 degrees in Boston right now with the Orioles and the Red Sox. And uh, as I say, that Orioles take a 3-1 lead. So that's not great. But, yes, you mentioned uh, Max Fried. He was pulled in the fourth inning after making a play to cover first. Uh, came out with some, uh, with some discomfort. And sounds like this is maybe precautionary for Freed uh, to where it just had some discomfort, maybe don't want to play through it, don't want to aggravate it anymore. You're up 4-2 at that point, or you were up 4-1 at that point, and so not a great sign for Braves fans to see your your opening day starter get pulled with an injury, but sounds like it may not be anything too crazy like we've seen already with Justin Verlander from the New York Mets, who is not playing today and he's not playing for the foreseeable future, who got put on the IL today as Mets fans continue to wonder, why us? Yeah, they just feel like the most cursed uh, baseball team in all of baseball. It doesn't matter the uh, level that that you're playing uh, at because they spend so much money and cannot stay healthy at all. Uh, as I do have some bad news for you, buddy. Uh, the Orioles just oh, yeah. two-run home run. Oh, yeah, it's 3-1. Yeah, it's 3-1. On your, uh, Red Sox. Yeah, not great. Ramon Urias, the third baseman, hitting a two-run bomb. Uh, as that Orioles team, uh, a name that some Auburn fans may be used to hearing or at least aware of, I think batting in the fifth, in the five-hole for, for the Orioles, Gunnar Henderson, former Auburn commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Adley Rushman stud catcher for that team uh that Auburn um I guess Auburn did was he on was he on the Oregon State team when last year no he wasn't no I don't think so I don't think so this is year two in the in the big leagues for him but uh he played out at Oregon State really great player um but yeah no it's this is such a fun time of year to see 
all of these baseball games taking place. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going well for your Red Sox. And it's going well for your rival Yankees. Uh, the Braves, I don't think it's a perfect day with with Freed getting a little banged up. But no, but I mean, lead yeah, right you're up 4-2. And the Nationals are not supposed to be anything good this year um, as far as I know and so the Braves should feel pretty good about uh, going on the road and starting a season starting this season with some wins uh, you've seen Ronald Cunha Jr. who already has a steal this uh, in this game today so he's got one on the season something that we talked to uh, Lindsey Crosby about earlier in the week was Ronald Acuna Jr. coming off of this injury and really trying to get back to where he was pre-injury, he believes, Ronald Acuna Jr. believes, he can be a 40-40 and guy. That's 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases. The big stat is when somebody gets 30-30, and but Lindsey was talking about how Ronald Acuna Jr. is good enough and feels like he's good enough to be a 40-40 and type of guy if he can stay healthy. Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the best players in all of baseball. Yeah, I mean, you've only had four people in the history of baseball have a 40-40 season, uh, and three of them, at least. Uh, I don't think Alfonso Soriano is a uh, steroid guy, but the other three are steroid guys. Uh, Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, and Alex Rodriguez. Pretty interesting list there, I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, how about a I mean, that, that'd be a, that's a big list if you're able to add your name to that if you're Ronald Acuna Jr. And so Braves, again, up 4-2 on the Nationals. And uh, opening day is off and running in Major League Baseball. We had talked with Lindsey about some of his predictions there at the end of the show the other day, just doing rapid fire about uh, MVP pick and and who's going to win divisions and all that sort of stuff. And I want to ask you, Carter, when you look around Major League Baseball at the different divisions, you've seen all the different movement, right? You've seen the you've seen the San Diego Padres really load up and and just have stud after stud after stud on their roster. The Dodgers are still the Dodgers. They're still going to be really, really good. The Giants are always a sneaky team out in the NL West. You have the NL East, who is going to be good with the Braves, Mets, and the Phillies. You have the AL West that has the Astros, the Mariners, who are a sneaky good squad who have continued to get better over the years. The American League East, we talked about it off air. You have four potential playoff teams there that could get to the playoffs. Not saying all four will, but they could get to the playoffs in the Central with the White Sox and the Cleveland Guardians. In your mind, which one of these divisions in Major League Baseball coming into 2023 with it being opening day, which one's the most competitive? So I think that you're going to have, there's a kind of some nuances to this. Top to bottom competitiveness I think you look at the AL East because, to me, I think the Orioles will be much improved. The Rays, despite not spending any money, are always there because they're such a well-run organization. The Yankees and Blue Jays, obviously, have have uh, they look like two of the more exciting teams uh, in baseball. The Yankees spend a lot of money every year. The, the Blue Jays have that young core. Uh, and they've made some really good moves to improve their their roster as well. Um, 
I think the NL East generally can be pretty good. I don't think the Marlins I, – I don't think the Nationals are there at all. I think the Nationals are going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. Uh, but the Marlins, I don't think they're going to be very good either. But those top three teams all have star power on their rosters. Uh, with the Mets, I mean – you got Verlander, who's on IL right now, but you've got Alonzo, you've got Scherzer. The Braves have Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, uh, all of those big names. And then the Phillies, you have Schwarber, Harper, Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, all sorts of guys in the NL East that are star guys. Kind of similar in the. Um, NL West when you look at the Dodgers and the Padres because those two teams I feel like every year get in a spending uh, yeah spending battle of yeah. who can go add the most talent um, and the Padres they might be a sneaky team uh, a sneaky NL uh, CS team for me well for me I don't think they're sneaking up on anybody man they have got some of the biggest names in baseball Fair. the question with the Padres is can they do it can they beat the Dodgers? Are they good enough to not just compete with L.A., but beat the Dodgers? Because that's been the best team in the West. That's been the standard in that side of baseball is the the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so the, the Padres haven't snuck up on me. I just think it's a question of can the Padres put it all together with three of the biggest names of baseball. The, the reason why I will like phrase it the way that it – can they sneak up on everybody? It's because it feels like the Dodgers have had such a stranglehold on that division for mm-hmm. so long because the Dodgers have been so good. They spent so much money, and yet somehow like every year they have this new prospect who comes up who's really good, whether it be Gavin Lux, who, by the way, is going to miss the entire year, it sounds like, with a knee injury. Um, but this Padres team right now, you've got – uh, Fernando Tatis coming back in 20 games. He's got 20 games left on his PED suspension. He'll be in the outfield. Uh, you've got Manny Machado. You've got Juan Soto. And you got Xander Bogarts. I mean, that's a really good group of four stars. If you can keep Fernando Tatis on the field, whether it be PEDs or weird shoulder injuries, like he just can't stay on the field. He's one of the most naturally gifted players in the game. Yeah. If you can keep that core on the field and keep them healthy, that offense can compete with just about anybody. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting to keep track of. Yeah, they can. You, you mentioned Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto. Um, you look at Manny Machado and then Xander Bogarts. That's the one that is it really – I'm sorry. Is it safe no, to you're say good. as I look at it uh, – is the NL Central the worst division in baseball? Uh, Yeah, I think you could definitely I mean, make the that Cardinals argument. are going to be good, but – is anybody else going to be good on that division? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, just looking at it, I mean, the Brewers, maybe if they make the, if they turn some things around, the Cubs could surprise some people. I don't expect the Pirates or the Reds to be anything crazy. Uh, but the Cubs have, the Cubs have made uh, some moves. I mean, you saw the Braves lose their shortstop to the Cubs. I mean, he'll be, he'll be playing there in Chicago now. So maybe, uh, maybe he is able to, to boost their hitting a little bit and it's going to be pitching for me when it comes to the Chicago Cubs because they've got guys and they have guys that can hit and again Dansby Swanson going to Chicago when he's on Dansby's one of the best shortstops in the game in the field and at the at the plate but when he's not 
he's pretty much non-existent. But I just don't see that division being anything super crazy. Nobody's You're not going to see three or four teams competing for playoff spots out of there. Um, but the Padres... The Padres have to find a way to overcome the Dodgers. They've got the talent. They've spent the money. It's time for them to do it. And what scares me about the Braves, to kind of reel this back into the Braves a little bit, everybody is on the Braves this year. Everybody's on the Braves. They know how much talent is there. They know how good this roster is. Everybody is locked in for the next few years Everybody coming into today, they love the Atlanta Braves, not just to come out of the NL East. They love the Braves to come out of the NL. They love the Braves to win the World Series. It's one of the most popular World Series picks right now amongst people around MLB. That worries me if you're the Braves because there's a lot of expectations on that franchise right now. Yeah, once once the Braves get the everyday shortstops uh, up to the team, which from talking to Lindsey uh, the other day, it sounds like they're going to wait a little bit because of... I guess um, the the rules about if if they didn't have Adrianza and uh, I'm drawing a blank on on and Arcia if they didn't have them on the roster um, those guys could kind of force their way to be released and then could find their way somewhere else they can what they want to I guess protect the depth of the roster um, but yeah I mean I think it's certainly the Braves hype is awfully awfully high and it's higher than it's probably been in a long time because of all the talent man you take into account like the fact that they are not uh the biggest spender in their own division with the amount of money that the Mets shell out every year they have the second best world series tied for the second best world series odds in baseball tied with the Dodgers uh the the Astros have the best odds it feels like the AL is just a little bit easier than the NL every year. It is right now. Because you've got the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Padres, all of those teams that you know. And I mean, the Phillies. The Phillies played for a World Series last year. Yeah. I mean, you've got all of these teams that it just feels like you're having to fight through so many high-level teams. And the AL, you can basically say the Astros, the Yankees, and maybe the Guardians and the Blue Jays. And, yeah. But like Guardians and Blue Jays, I don't think they're at the same level right now as those top four or five teams in the NL. I think that's fair to say. I think it's fair to say that the National League is much tougher than the American League is right now as it is opening day around Major League Baseball. Braves playing right now, uh, still up on the Nationals after Max Fried went out with an injury in the fourth with some uh, tightness and some soreness a little bit and just took him out for precaution. They're up 4-2 as they head to the bottom of the seventh there in Washington, D.C. Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We'll come back and talk about a guy out of the SEC in basketball that is declared for the NBA draft. Not a surprise, but we'll talk about his potential when we come back here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. 
Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader, as we've been talking opening day for the MLB. But wanted to uh, talk about this really quickly as I've got a few minutes before I head out and head over to uh, Lee Scott Academy for Lee Scott Academy Baseball on AU100. Got a doubleheader today, do the Warriors versus the Macon East Knights in an area game where uh, some stuff is on the line. Uh, some seeding potentials can uh, be played out today. And so I will be heading over there in just a few minutes at 2.30. Carter will fly solo for about 30 minutes. And then Christian Clemente will come in for hour number two and talk Auburn football recruiting. So I know you guys are excited about that. But did want to talk real quick uh, about a uh, SEC basketball player that uh, has declared for the NBA draft. And again, not surprising, but about 30 minutes ago, uh, Wash from ESPN tweeted out, said University of Alabama forward Brandon Miller, the number three prospect in the latest mock draft, is entering the 2023 NBA draft. Miller has made a strong case to teams to go to second overall behind generational number one pick Victor uh, Wembanyama. So, Brandon Miller heading to the NBA draft. No surprise here. If you take the off-court stuff away and you just look at the player on the court, take out his NCAA tournament performance maybe. I know I'm saying to take out different factors, but when you just look at Brandon Miller as a basketball player, he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, he is the talent level he has, the the length, the shooting ability, the playmaking. I mean, he's pretty good on the defensive end as well. I mean... He is so talented. He's going to be one of the um, most talented players in this draft. I think if you looked at just basketball, uh, you would probably have him as the third pick right now. Mm -hmm. That's about where I think he would go. Um, I am curious to see, as we approach the NBA draft, does the kind of cloud of everything sit over him is there any hesitancy about letting the the whole legal process play out i am curious about that let's get to the phone lines got a couple of minutes before we get to our bottom of the hour break 334-321-1390 ed you're on the line you got a couple of minutes what's up hey i'll, I'll make it quick uh, yeah, okay. i'm glad i got you before you left yeah i was just gonna, i was just going to uh comment on a couple of things that uh First off, like with everything that's going on uh, with the NCAA and you know with with transfers and, and the NIL, you know, just being out of uh, it, you want to go back and y'all are too young to remember, but there used to be a time that it, imagine if you will that people used to fear the NCAA. Mm-hmm. If they got on, I mean, it, it was like the worst thing. And now it's nothing. I, I mean, it's like a joke. And, and I, I just think, I think that there's got to be some kind of structure for everybody concerned, for the kids. And I, I really think a two-year scholarship is one way to start. But I, I wanted to respond to some people acting like some Auburn people. I've been very nice about the Brandon Miller thing, and I think most Auburn people have. But uh, if you, I don't know if y'all, when when Bama came after uh, Pat Dye with Derek Ramsey and Donald Watkins and all that, listen, mm-hmm. they did they did that in a slow, methodical method. They 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 stretched it out for them. They would release stuff right before big the 
the week of a big game. Uh, I mean, it was so it was so unnecessary the the amount of effort they put in, and and uh, I mean, for for Bama people to act like Auburn people have been out of line, and you know, and and, and uh, also people going into the tournament with, you know, we're killing it, you know, at UAT, you know, by my fans. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I just, but uh, it, I know it's going to take a lot longer than just a, a, a quick segment, but, but there's got to be something done. And, and we're and hey, hey, I'm, I'm loving the coverage on the, uh, I'm looking forward to the guy talking about recruiting. I've, I've uh, you know, I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. And great. You have a great day. Yeah, guys. you too, Ed. We we appreciate the call, Ed. We appreciate you calling in and, and listening. Yes, Christian Clemente uh, from Auburn 247 will be in an hour or two to talk uh, recruiting with Carter. I'm about to have to dip out. But, yes, Christian will be in for hour number two. And, Ed, we appreciate the call. Uh, to his first point, really quick, I know we're running out of time here, but the NCAA is not feared anymore, like Ed said. It is a joke. The NCAA is a joke. They don't do anything. They are not a governing body. They don't look out for the best of student athletes and the schools that they represent. The NCAA is an absolute joke. And Carter, I know I'm about to leave, but you can address more of the Brandon Miller stuff with just the actions that have taken yeah. place and what has and has not happened in disciplinary styles with that. But again, I am out of here. Carter, you've got it for the next 30 minutes. Then Christian Clemente will join for hour two talking Auburn football, recruiting, spring practice, all that good stuff. So that's coming up later at three o'clock. But tune in. Lee Scott Baseball will be over on AU100. That's 100.3 or AU100FM.com. Lee Scott Baseball doubleheader coming up against Macon East. That's at 3.30 and 5.30. I'm heading that way. Carter's got you the rest of the way. Stay tuned for more of the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to On the Line here on this uh, wonderful Thursday. Carter Bird in the studio. Kind of solo in the show now for a little bit until uh, Christian Clemente joins us in hour number two. Uh, Jacob Goins is going to call some Lee Scott baseball today, uh, so be sure that you don't miss out on that. Uh, before the break, Jacob was kind of talking about uh, Brandon Miller responding to Ed's call uh, about the situation on that, and I guess I'll give my opinion before we uh, move elsewhere. I do think um, that I don't think Auburn fans have been that unfair um, in regards to in regard to Brandon Miller. I think that it is. Um, I mean, the entire situation about that around that Alabama basketball program, the way that they seemingly have um, kind of PR-wise taken a wrong step at every turn. Um, every time Nate Oates gets on a microphone to talk about it, he makes it worse. Um, and we keep learning more and more details about um, who all was involved and to what extent and the the amount of time it has taken for each of these uh, details to come out, whether it be Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley's involvement or the 
potential of Kai Spears, the walk-on, being uh, present at the scene as well. All of those details have slowly seeped out. I don't think that that has helped the optics of the situation. Um, the way that Alabama has handled it in the media, I don't think has been spectacular either. And I think it's kind of continued to feed into this, um, I think, national frustration that people have watching the way Alabama has dealt with it. Uh, and they became they became the villains of March, let's be honest. And this March Madness, I mean, before this year, I think most people would probably have told you it was uh, Duke, it was Coach K, that, because they were easy to dislike. I mean, you look over the years, uh, Grayson Allen, those types of players that have come through Duke that were so easy to not like. Well, Coach K is gone. This Duke team was never really in the spotlight all that much this year except for the two Duke-UNC games that were um, really highly publicized on ESPN despite being not great games. And that was that's a topic for a different time about how uh, they really tried to make something out of those those games when it, when it really didn't move the needle for me all that much. But Alabama was the villain of this college basketball season because of the manner in which that they seemed to dismiss the seriousness of the situation. And, I mean, we're going to have a whole legal process that's going to play out. We will see what all comes of it. But it's also like the way that excuses were always made for the team. Um, you look at the way that uh, Nick Saban was blamed for the the loss because of his comments about wrong place, wrong time, and uh, the way that excuses were trying to be created for the... the um, I guess the way that he said it, like, oh, there's no way he... He would have said something like that. I think that that's you can't have the Nick Saban is the most calculated person in media or most calculated coach in the media. Everything he says has a purpose. You can't be all of those things and then follow that up with, oh well, he wasn't aware that NATO's even said that. I I just don't believe that. I I think that those are two things that are inseparable and there's no way with the brightest the brightest spotlight on Tuscaloosa that we have seen in years he wasn't aware of what was going on I just I refuse to believe that and I think that it's kind of selling this selling Nick Saban and his awareness of what what is happening around him short and you can't go with that narrative of how calculated, how everything he does in the media is, has a purpose, to me, if you dismiss his comments. And then I think it was on 95.3 The Bear, their website. It's a radio station in, uh, I think, just north of Tuscaloosa. They had an article that I came across that I happened to see. Uh, I happened to see uh, Ben Taylor who has the morning show here uh, at our at our station? He uh, posted on Facebook, but they're trying to blame the basketballs and how inflated the basketballs were. How the basketballs are slightly bigger, and I think all that's garbage, personally, because that's just more excuses. Because both teams have to play with the same basketballs. I just think it's pointless. 
Uh, but that's my thoughts on that. I want to move on to something else here. Um, actually, we're going to head to the uh, the phone line, maybe? Yeah, we're going to head back to the phone line. Ed, you're back on the show. Welcome back, Ed. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, hey, listen, uh, since you said, you know, be a few minutes before your next uh, guest comes on and, you know, not a lot of callers, I was going to expand on what I was talking about. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that it, to me, and I think I called and told, uh, I told y'all, I think this, it, like soon after it happened, you know, that the person that had to be really angry at Alabama it was how it was being messed up was, would be Nick. Yes, 100%. Because, yeah, because, I mean, he's trying to do everything right. Once you get all these people looking at your program, it just uh, it, it's just it it was so uncalled for and so I don't know it was it was kind of like it was handled like you said very very poorly uh, from mm-hmm. the athletic director the whole university you know and uh, and it did come off as very callous and all this but uh, I, and I, I agree with all and it, it's just no repercussions for it unless you've got a conscience right now because. Like we were just saying, the NCAA doesn't, they don't have any teeth right now. And they just kind of, it's, it's really a joke with that. But I was going to, uh, what I was going to ask you, one other thing I wanted to mention was about some of the rebuild that's going on that, you know, you, you hear about it in the, uh, it will every school, you know, now with transfer portal and everything. But as far as Auburn on, uh, on, Basketball and football, uh, you know, I know a couple of guys have already left, you know, Trey Orr and Westry, and, uh, you know, maybe another guy, uh, somebody else, I think, but uh, it, it's looking at it, but uh, Bama also. But after spring training, do you think they'll uh, – I'm going to ask you, you know, if you could – when you get your guest on, you know, first hour, if you could ask about what uh, – what may be happening, you know, after uh, the transfer portal for both Auburn and Alabama? I feel like, I'm, no, I mean Auburn, not yeah, but both basketball and football is what I meant to say. Yeah, but I mean, I like that, Christian's probably you know, going to have a better idea on football, I would imagine, because I think that's more of his wheelhouse. But I mean, I'll, I'll definitely ask yeah. him what his thoughts are, but. And Ed, I'll be honest with you. I think I think you're going to see Auburn go get a quarterback or two. I think you're going to see Auburn go get a receiver, maybe two of them. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked to see Auburn get one more interior offensive lineman just to kind of shore yep. up some depth there. And then uh-huh. I think you're looking at an edge, maybe yeah. a linebacker, mm-hmm. and that's probably about it right now. That oh, I would say are positions that Auburn can strengthen because you, you know the DB room is deep you know it's really good I think you got a bunch of NFL guys back there whether yep. they be young guys or veterans like DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett I think I think you're gonna have multiple guys who can play in the NFL back there the interior of the defensive line sounds really strong um, yep. the, the offensive line the transfers who've come in I think have been have met all the expectations everything that has been asked of them I think they've met that as well um, yeah. I, I, I think your two positions right now that I, you can concretely say Auburn is going to go seek somebody out in the transfer portal 
would be quarterback and wide and wide receiver right now with especially based on the comments you've seen Hugh Freeze make. Though those yeah. have been the two position groups he has talked mm-hmm. the most about in terms of they're not where they need to be. They've got to come along. They've got to get better. Sounds like yeah. it's gotten a little more positive about quarterback this week. A little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know how um I don't know if he still feels comfortable about him, but receiver. I mean, you saw Heather Dinich and her tweet when she came to practice this past week. She told Auburn fans on Twitter, y'all gonna have to be really patient with these re- receivers because they're not where they need to be. Yeah, I saw where some of the where some of the receivers kind of tweeted back, you know, like, hey, we're taking, taking notice of this, you yes. know, whatever, you, you know, but, but hey, uh, you know, we were very low on so many positions, and, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for very good effort by this staff, and I, I really love how they're recruiting the football staff, and, you know, I'll, I'll always be behind Bruce Pearl, you know, it was a rough year, but a couple of guys didn't work out, and I, I, I fully intend expected, you know, it Treyor to I, I didn't know about Westry, but I you know, yeah. all I wouldn't be all right, you know, uh, in, in basketball and I, I saw where West Kentucky's got a seven five guy that just entered the portal, but I don't know if we need another. Yeah, I mean I think ball. I think as long as you have uh Janai Berm and Dylan Carball on this roster, as yeah. long as they're still there. I don't think right. Auburn needs to go get another center right now. I think the emphasis will be that. on players who can kind of play that two role, be a shooter, mm-hmm. wings who can shoot and get to the basket a little bit. Uh maybe yeah. somebody to back up Jalen Williams if he comes back. I think that's kind of where you're yeah. gonna see the emphasis for for Bruce Pearl and this staff. Yeah, we got any anybody that can if they can shoot free throws and uh, free corners, you know. <laughs> yeah. But hey, but, but hey, Oriole, uh, and I appreciate you taking my call, and I'm looking forward to listening to y'all. Take appreciate care, it, Ed. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, that was Ed talking a little um, about the Brandon Miller situation and some Auburn basketball, a little bit of Auburn football on there. Uh, but we're obviously going to dive more into that here in a little bit as Christian Clemente will be with us at the top of the second hour. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the the kind of from poking around, I think that this staff, Bruce Pearl and company, I think they have a plan. Uh, I think when you look at the past two years, the fatal flaw for this Auburn basketball team has been an inability to shoot and an inability to shoot the free throw. I mean, Auburn has lost a lot of games from bad three-point shooting uh, and bad free-throw shooting. I think that's something that is being addressed as we move forward uh, and you look forward to the 23-24 season. You know Aiden Holloway's coming in the door. You know Trey Donaldson's coming back based on his social media post. Um, You had Wendell Green on the next round today kind of be kind of vague. I think he said he would have... An answer on his future uh, for those guys next week. Be interesting to see what happens there. But regardless, having Trey Donaldson and Aiden Holloway at the point guard position, I think you feel really comfortable with that. Because I really liked what I saw out of Aiden Holloway on Tuesday night in the McDonald's All-American game. I think he looked he looked like... I'm not going to say he was full-on Sharif Cooper. He might be a little quicker and faster than Sharif Cooper. He may not have the court vision of Sharif. Uh, we didn't see him 
do a lot of passing, but I don't think a game like that is set up for, unless you're, you are just the most skilled passer in the game, I don't think you're set up in a setting like that to really uh, rack up assists. I think everybody's playing these limited minutes. Everybody's trying to get a couple shots up. Everybody's trying to show what they can do. I was really encouraged by his ability to get to the rim. Uh, watching his his tape and his highlights, I love the way that he can take on contact and protect the basketball uh, and try to finish through contact. He can shoot the ball a little bit too, and he showed that on Tuesday night, going two of four from three, hitting one of them at the end of the first quarter to wrap, wrap up his 10-point first quarter, finished with 10, 15 points in the game in just 14 minutes and I think 18 seconds. Had he played uh, 20 minutes, like some 20 plus minutes, like some of the other guys we saw out there, heck, had he played the minutes that Bronny James played, which was 19 minutes and 59 seconds, I think you would have seen him score 20 plus points. And I think he would have been the second leading scorer in the McDonald's All American game. I think he's a really good player. I think he's exactly what Bruce Pearl is looking for in a point guard. I think he'll walk on campus and I think he'll be the best point guard Auburn has. But I think with Trey Donaldson and Aiden Holloway, you're in really good hands at the point guard position, and you can build out from there. I'm sure we, we will be talking a lot about it here in the coming days and weeks, but we need to get to our final break of our number one. We come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit of Auburn baseball here on On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to On the Line on this Thursday. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio uh, talking a little Auburn baseball before Christian Clemente joins us for our number two. Uh, but yeah, Auburn's got a big series uh, this weekend after getting a midweek, a pretty dominant midweek win uh, against North Alabama this week, uh, they I think it was fourteen to one. I think it, they the new um, the new rule of a ten run rule in the SEC was utilized in that one. It's been utilized a couple times in um, Auburn games this year, but I think you got a great performance out of Drew Nelson throwing a complete game, uh, seven innings, one run. I think you had Ike Irish, the freshman phenom, absolutely go nuts, four or five, uh, five RBIs, and I think his first home run of his career. But this weekend, Auburn is on the road at Florida, taking on the number two ranked Florida Gators, who uh, are a very good team. Um, they have a pitcher and position player. He is a left-handed pitcher and a first baseman. His name is Jack um, Caglione. Six foot five guy who I think at last count, I think I saw Lindsey Crosby's uh, tweet about it the other day. He has 33 strikeouts on the mound and he leads college baseball with 17 home runs as he hit four of them last weekend in Oxford. But Auburn's going to take them on, and Auburn is going to be unveiling a new starting rotation. That was announced last night, I think, on Tiger Talk. Uh, Butch Thompson with the Auburn Sports Network with Andy Bertram and Brad Law. 
Will Cannon, John Armstrong, and Tommy Vale will be the three taking the bump for Auburn uh, this weekend. John Armstrong and Will Cannon have been two of the best relief pitchers uh, in college, in the SEC. I think Will Cannon actually cracked D1 Baseball's top 50 relievers this week. Uh, a couple guys who have been really reliable. Will Cannon just a, a 2.29 ERA on the year and 19 and two-thirds innings, uh, allowing just five earned runs. He is uh, has 21 strikeouts on the year. He's been somebody who's been very reliable. And I think John Armstrong actually leads the team in wins despite being a uh, reliever for this Auburn team. He has been great. He's 5 and 0 on the year, a 3.91 ERA, 23 innings pitched, uh sidearm guy, not a huge strikeout guy, but he kind of has that mentality of if he can get you to kind of just mash the ball into the ground, hit some ground balls, he can get you uh out at first base. And then Tommy Vale who's been a little up and down. He's 2 and 1 on the year, 3.57 ERA, 29 strikeouts and 22 and 2 thirds. Uh, he had a really good outing against Arkansas. He will be the third starter. It's going to be a huge challenge for this Auburn baseball team, taking on a really good Georgia or Florida baseball team after taking on Georgia, taking two out of three against Georgia last year. Florida is five and one in conference play, uh, one game back of the top of the SEC East, where South Carolina and Vanderbilt are both six and zero. Oh. They are twenty-two and four. On the year, and they've only dropped four games at home all year. They're sixteen and four, so it's going to be a tough challenge for Auburn. Auburn's sitting at two and four in the SEC West. Uh, they are tied with Alabama for third in the West. Um, the West has kind of gone through it here early. You got a one and five Texas A&M, zero and six Ole Miss, defending national champions, zero uh, and six, and then the defending national champions from the year before. Mississippi State is 0-6. I think they have lost like 16 straight uh, SEC games. I think they may get rolling tonight. Uh, there are some good games tonight. I think South Carolina and Mississippi State get get rolling, and we will see a really fun one between number 1 LSU and number 10 Tennessee. But as always, I mean, in the SEC, each weekend, it's such a grind. It's so difficult. And we will see how Auburn uh, kind of fares Moving forward this weekend against number two, Florida. That's going to do it for hour number one. We come back. Hour number two, Christian Clemente of Auburn 247. Talking a little Auburn football recruiting. ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird, solo, or not soloing anymore because I have a guest with me, but Jacob Goins is not here. He is 
doing some Lee Scott baseball right now, setting up for that as that's about to get rolling here today. But here in the second hour, we are joined by Christian Clemente of Auburn 247, Auburn Undercover. We were debating the the official title here (laughs) earlier. Christian, welcome in. How are you, buddy? Doing good. Yeah, you kind of had to pry me away from the driving range. Um, I was oh. there earlier today, hit about... How's the how's the golf game looking? You know, after about 200 swings today, um, I'm start, starting to finally remember how to hit a golf ball, so that's there nice. Um, so that's been a nice change after not playing for like five months and losing my entire golf game. Where do you rank yourself on the Auburn beat as far as... <laughs> oh, I'm probably... There's not a lot of golfers on the Auburn beat. I would say I'm probably second. Uh, my coworker, Jason Caldwell, definitely the best um Brian Stoltz plays a lot but you know the rumor is he's pretty terrible actually I hope Stoltz hears this I'm just joking <laughs> Stoltz and I are probably pretty similar like two two a two b um but I'm I'm definitely you, up there do you have a career low score career low score uh I've broken 80 once so there, hey uh, that's good I will take that that's pretty good but I know you've been working on the golf game but it I know it has to have been a just crazy few weeks because it feels like Half the country's recruits have been on campus here. What's it been like for you as uh, you've been trying to keep track of all that? Yeah, it's been pretty chaotic. Um, You know, speaking of golf, one of my like running jokes, but like being dead serious is like last spring, my golf game got really good because I was pretty much checked out of classes at that point and we didn't really have a whole lot of recruiting to do. So I went to the driving range and played a lot of golf. Like I would play like two or three rounds a week. I'd hit the driving range pretty much every other day. Like, I was golfing nonstop. Um, this spring, it's been a lot different. I've had to try and squeeze in a couple golf days because almost every other day there's been, I mean, every day there's been practice, mm-hmm. there's been quality visitors. And then certain other days there's a visitor or two um, here and there, but they've really been emphasizing those practice days on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and I was tallying up the numbers earlier, uh, I guess yesterday. Um, and so far they've had 11 practices and they've had, 12 five-star visits now wow five star is cam coleman who's visited twice so you've had 11 twice in like a week right yes you've had 11 five-star visitors and 12 different five-star visits with cam coleman coming twice yeah that's crazy that's impressive just because you were you were covering recruiting under the last staff and then obviously hugh freeze and company they're here now what has the shift in just the mentality the effort level uh, and the amount of guys you're seeing come through the door, what has that been like, and how do they compare? Yeah, I don't even necessarily think saying night and day is a fair comparison, <laughs> and that's not to dump on the old staff, like honestly, but it's just it's so different. There's so much of a from the top down. There's so much more of an emphasis on recruiting, and we've heard it from the staff as well. You know, we've heard it from these assistant coaches when we have interviews with them. They say, look. Coach Freeze, when he's in the hallway, like he'll be wandering around, he'll, he'll be saying, "Does anybody have any guy on the phone? Like, let's get somebody on the phone. Let's talk to somebody. Let's Facetime somebody. Let's do something." Mm-hmm. They're just doing that, you know, nonstop. Even you know, even during practice, I've seen a coach pull away for a second to Facetime a recruit, and I've seen coaches spending an extensive amount of time with recruits on the practice field. Cam Coleman said it yesterday when we interviewed him. He said he was looking at the script and he was basically running. He felt like he was running in practice. Like it felt like he was learning what it'd be like to be an Auburn receiver. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been just completely, totally different. There's so much more of an emphasis actually on recruiting, actually doing that. Is it, was it Cam Coleman or was it, I think it 
maybe maybe Ryan Williams that talked about the difference between like when he was here on a game day in the it fall, was, like yeah, Brian, Brian Hurst just like walked right by him, didn't really talk to him, didn't really know who he was. It was, like, it was Ryan Williams, and that's un- it's a funny but unfortunate story because now Auburn is behind and has to try and flip a legacy from Alabama. Um, but you know, our Jason Caldwell saw Ryan Williams before the game, pointed him where to go. Um, I think around halftime, he saw Ryan Williams again as Ryan Williams was leaving um, and not overly pleased. Five-star kid, um, legacy. At that point, exactly. he was already really good. He didn't have an Auburn offer yet, didn't get offered at the game, didn't get offered until a couple of days later by the old staff. Um, and he said you know, they he didn't really talk to anybody at all during that game day visit. Nobody really knew who he was. Um, he wasn't really showing any attention at all. This is a kid who's, I mean, he's a five-star and he's an Auburn legacy. Those are two he, major didn't things. Didn't he win Mr. Football as yeah, a sophomore? Yeah, Mr. Football as a sophomore. It's like the first time that's ever happened, right? First time in the state it's ever happened, yeah. Wow. Um, and he's visited uh, twice already this spring. He visited in January um, and once in March, and he's expected to visit again and for A-Day. Um, the staff has really put an emphasis on him, but he said it was just completely different. And, you know, He even said it after his January visit. He just said, I didn't like my last time I was here at all. Um, this was totally different. This was great. And you know, we asked him, you know, when you committed to Alabama in, I think, October, did Auburn even have a chance? Was Auburn even a thought? And he said, nope, not even a thought. Auburn wasn't wasn't in the ball game at all. That's not that shocking to me just because of all the stories that we've, we've heard. Uh, I mean, it was Keldrick Falk, right, that talked about yeah. how, like, the drastic difference in the, what, three weeks of Hugh Freeze compared to Brian Harson. Uh, speaking of kind of the guys in this past class that Auburn Auburn went and flipped some guys like Connor Liu, Keldrick Falk, uh, Kay and Lee. I know you've probably talked with the other uh, beat writers on at Auburn Undercover. Are you surprised at all that those three have been maybe the most talked about freshmen that have walked in and are being talked about as guys who could play a lot in 2023? No, I don't think so, to be honest. Everything we'd heard about Connor Liu was his value was extremely high. Some sites had him as a three-star. We had him as a really high four-star. Um, and you know, we thought he was potentially the best center in the country. And Auburn I, felt the same way. I feel like center is the most like wide open the sites have had people yeah. on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like high number one center or low three star it's it tough to be all over the place some people just pigeonhole players they're like oh he's only a center and you know Connor Lou's been working at guard a lot mm-hmm. um and so it's tough to kind of rank them but a lot of people thought very highly of Connor Lou um and that's why this new staff really prioritized him quickly um and it was pretty easy slam dunk for them to flip him from Miami um he's wants to be a pilot Auburn has that aviation program he was looking for Auburn's closer to home. He's from Kennesaw Mountain there in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a pretty quick flip, to be honest. Keldrick Falk is an interesting one because we knew he'd have to play right away because of the need at the, the jack position. Lack of depth, yeah. But the thing is, from Keldrick, in high school, he left some to be desired at times. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to immediately step in right away. You absolutely knew the tools were there. Mm-hmm. You just weren't sure how it was going to um, adjust immediately. And He's done that incredibly well so far. Kay and Lee is not a surprise at all. Um, I watched him play a little bit in high school. He's a smaller, undersized corner, but he's just an absolute dog out there. Um, and he is everything we've heard about him from coaches, teammates, teammates on offense, teammates on defense. 
it's it's not a surprise at all that he's going to contribute right away. Yeah, I mean, he's been somebody who from basically day one on campus has just gotten rave r- reviews. And honestly, some of the returning veterans that have gotten a ton of playing time, they might be sweating a little bit with this new kid who just showed up and uh, has been nothing short of impressive. That DB's room with, with Zach Etheridge, now Wesley McGriff, it feels like the deepest group on the the deepest position group on the team. It feels like the most experienced, the most talent. Uh, how much of a testament is that that just the effort that Zach Etheridge put really in the past two cycles and the effort he's continuing to put in every day uh, on the trail and then I guess developing these guys as well. Yeah, no, it's been huge. I mean, Zach um, in the 2022 cycle recruited really well. He got uh was 2022 cycle that was jd yeah jd rim Mm -hmm. um austin osbury who we haven't really seen much of yet but he was a very highly rated player um so he gets some of those guys there at the end and then 2023 cycle i mean it was just a haul at defensive back and auburn still doesn't have some of those guys on campus they won't enroll until may or june you're still waiting on colton hood sylvester smith terrence love um jd rim is banged up this spring he's out for the rest of the spring so you go out there and the room looks almost a little thin right now but mm-hmm. then it's like well come june or so there's gonna be like <laughs> five or six more guys there um once you include jd rim you know being healthy and being able to participate in practices and stuff so that defensive back room you know we figured it'd be really good and it's seemingly just that you know i think jalen simpson moving to safety was a fantastic move we saw what he could do there at the end of last year um so i think that's a smart kind of natural shift for him to be back there um and you know it's it's just a really, really talented room. Of the guys who in this 23 class that have not made it to campus yet, if you had to highlight like a couple guys who you think that I know, I know the timeline's going to be a lot shorter because they get here in May and fall camp is not that far away and the season's not that far away. If you had to pick a couple guys that will get some playing time and make an impact, make their presence known this fall, who are a couple guys that you're looking at out of this 23 group? Uh, number one would be Deron Reed along the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really like him. He's been at several practices this spring, just trying to be able to kind of see things and kind of at least mentally watch practice and see what he'll be doing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I like him a lot. Obviously, you like Jeremiah Cobb, but he'll be you know running back four behind Jarquez, Brian Batie, um, and Damari Alston. Mm-hmm. So it'll be you know he'll get carries in the fall, but it won't be his his time yet i will say i i do like that it feels like to me that each one of those four guys kind of brings something a little bit different and you can get creative with them you've got a smaller guy who can disappear behind an offensive line and brian betty and who has home run speed jarquez is your quintessential just every down between the tackles back who can catch a little bit jeremiah cobb i mean I've heard some people make some comparisons that he could be kind of an Alvin Kamara type of role. Do you, how, how do you see the the skill sets of those four kind of all meeting together? Yeah, I could see that. Um, I hadn't really thought about that comparison. I haven't thought about that comparison for Jeremiah Cobb in a while just because we haven't talked about him in a while. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of one of the pair of comps I had for him back when he committed in July. Um, so that's a good one. But yeah, I think it's a really versatile room um and 
it'll only continue to get better next year when you add Jamari and Burnett and another running back that Auburn will, you know, Auburn's going to plan to take two running backs because seemingly it kind of feels like Jarquez Hunter will be gone after this year, potentially to the draft. Um, and so, but these guys, you know, I, I think the addition of Brian Batie is one that gets overlooked a little bit in the transfer portal because mm-hmm. he's not going to necessarily be running back one. Um, he's not going to get the bulk of the carries, but you look at the hidden yardage he'll bring in kick return game. That's really good. Former All-American as a kick returner. Um, and then just I think this offense is going to want to rotate running backs a lot. I think you're going to see that just a lot more in college football overall and especially with Auburn. So the fact that you can give Jarquez a couple carries, give Brian a couple carries, give Demari Alston a couple carries, just keep rotating those guys, feed the hot hand, um, and not be forced to just give – you know, Tank Bigsby, you know, 25 carries a game, something like that. So I think all of those guys bring different things to the room. We'll have to see how Jeremiah Cobb fits in, but I like your comp for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look at running backs, especially now in the modern game of football, these running backs only have so much tread on the tires. They can only take so many hits, and mm-hmm. you need to be deep in that room and be able to rotate guys. Like the best teams we've seen, the teams with the best running back rooms – like a Georgia, like an Alabama, they've been able to rotate guys through and keep guys fresh. I think that's something that Gus Malzahn did not do a great job of. Uh, I think of that 2017 season where it felt like he ran Carrion Johnson into the ground. Yes. And by the end of the year, he was not the same guy. Um, do you see Hugh Freeze doing his best to try to to really spread out the the carries to prevent a situation like that where you've had to rely so much on a guy like Jarquez Hunter who would, I guess, theoretically be the carry-on Johnson of the group and try to keep everybody healthy. Do you see that being the move? Yeah, I definitely think that's what they're looking to do. Um, and you know, that's not only just for one game in a sense because guys are going to get rotated in every single game, but it's exactly like the carry-on Johnson situation where once you get to the end of the season, once you mm-hmm. reach that Iron Bowl, all four of those guys, no one is going to be quite as run down as you know they maybe would be in another situation where you don't have four guys that you can count on. Um, and they're you know kind of playing the long game in that sense. And I think they're all really talented, quality SEC backs. It's not like you're rotating in some just random at running back. These guys are all capable of you know having big plays at running back. Yeah, I think it's going to be something very exciting. I mean, we know Hugh Freeze is going to use the running backs. Um, I think maybe. When you look at the Ole Miss groups that he had and the Liberty groups, I think this might be the most talented running back room he may have had, but uh, it'll be exciting for sure. We need to hit our first break here of hour number two. Uh, When we come back, we will continue to talk some recruiting and maybe some uh, transfer portal as well here on On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Jacob Goins uh, doing a little Lee Scott baseball right now. Uh, So it's me and our guest, Christian Clemente, in the studio talking a little Auburn football uh, recruiting. And Christian, I kind of want to dive back into this recent run of visits you mentioned all of the 
five stars that have been on campus. All there have been so many commitments to other big name schools. Um, what do you? What is the mentality by having all those big name players and all those commitments on campus about this? This staffs just. They're not afraid, it seems like. Is that fair to say when you look at what's happening right now? Yeah, I think that's a good statement, and I think it's a little bit of, hey, let's get in the ball game, and hey, give us a chance. Um, the first one, and kind of the biggest one, I guess, that I would probably point to would be K.J. Bolden, who's a top 10 player in the class. I think he's, I think he's, you know, we just updated our rankings. I think he's still the number one safety freak athlete. Could probably be mm-hmm. like a top 100 wide receiver as well. Top 100 player as a wide receiver, I should say. Yeah, he's listed as an athlete, but ranked as the number one safety yes. on 247. Um, and, you know, he visited Auburn, um, and Auburn actually told him, you know, we would have packages for you on offense as a receiver, um, which I think is appealing to him. And that might be part of the recruiting pitch, but that's just speaking of his talent. And when it comes to KJ Bolden, you know, it's interestingly enough, you know, Philip Dukes, who works with us part time mm-hmm. as a recruiting guy, he had talk to me about KJ Bolden like last summer and last fall he's like hey have you heard anything about him it's like no not really and he's like you know I, I know KJ and his family a little bit and I know he likes Auburn and Auburn just hasn't really gotten in the ball game at all here God, that, um, and, that feels like a common thread for a yeah, lot of guys yeah. but you know he visits um, and he has a lot of really good things to say after his visit Zach Etheridge has been put in work there Zach, there's Zach Etheridge again mm-hmm. um, and you know, now all of a sudden it seems like Auburn is positioned in a pretty good spot to get one of his five official visits. Auburn's probably closer, uh, not probably, Auburn's closer to five than closer to one in his recruitment right now mm-hmm. in terms of those official visits. But look, once you get an official visit, you're in that unofficial top five. That's basically a recruit's top five from that point on um, because mm-hmm. they only get to take five of them. And then from that point on, you know, you're in the ball game. you're in the top five and you can make something happen. So he had a really, really good visit. It was an overnight visit, actually. Um, and so he had a lot of good things to say about Auburn and Hugh Freeze and Zach Etheridge. And now it seems like Auburn's positioned to get an official visit. And, you know, that's kind of the thing with a lot of these five stars. Auburn is definitely playing catch up. Um, mm-hmm. And that's no fault of this staff. That's just the way recruiting works now. It's kind of at minimum a two year process for these guys. So this staff's behind. But just get them on campus and then hope to get them back. And that's. You know, that's been what's it's been very successful I think even KJ Bolden said he planned to come back for a day and I think a lot of these guys are kind of gonna come back for a day yeah I mean I I definitely agree with you that recruiting feels like it at a minimum a two-year kind of uh process and I feel like I don't know you probably had no actual data on this it feels like with the early signing day period and how all these classes operate guys are committing earlier and earlier uh and it feels like it does feel like if you pick up the a job in late December or January, you are behind for that next class. Uh, is there a quantifiable number or data for, for guys committing earlier as a result of the changing, I guess, signing periods and stuff like that? I think you could just look at the recruiting calendar a little bit. Now that a lot of those official visits happen in the summer mm-hmm. instead of during the fall, I mean, that's the thing where all of a sudden, you know, everything's getting pushed up a little bit. The kids who would normally, you know, commit in the summer before taking their fall official visits are now the kids that are committing early in the spring or in like January and February before their summer official visits. And now those other kids that would commit after their fall official visits are committing in like late June, 
or late July or just somewhere in July there after taking their official visits in, you know, May and June. So that would be kind of the biggest shift, I guess you would say, um, in terms of earlier commitments. And you're definitely right. The recruiting process is sped up now in Mm -hmm. terms of actually getting commitments. Yeah, it it definitely feels that way. You were talking about K.J. Bolden, how Auburn said that they had some offensive packages for him. The other schools kind of contending for him, how many of those schools have given him a similar pitch or are they just looking at him on one side of the ball like like safety? I think most schools are just looking at him as a safety. Um, And I think probably some other schools have pitched the idea of a little bit of receiver as well. But you know, when you're trying to play catch up, you, you use every card that you have in that sense. So um, I think that's kind of what Auburn was doing with KJ Bolden a little bit. When you look at some of the comments Hugh Freeze has made through spring practice, it sounds like that wide receiver group is not where he wants it to be. I think you'll probably see Auburn uh, look to add in the transfer portal in May. But with that in mind, with the portal in May kind of as in mind as well, with this class, how much does that help Auburn's sales pitch to, because it feels like they've had a bunch of really highly rated guys, what, three, five stars, I do believe, yes. on campus here recently? And then, I mean, Ryan Williams, so I guess four, and a bunch of high, highly rated four stars. How much does the lack of um, production through spring practice help Auburn's sales pitch to some of these guys in the 24 class? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I think if you're Hugh Freeze and Marcus Davis, you probably wish you didn't have to make that sales pitch. Um, but you know that's that's the way things go, and that's the way recruiting works now. Where all of a sudden, you know, you've got Cam Coleman visiting, you've got Perry Thompson, the five-star committed to Alabama, who's visited Auburn several times this year. Um, you've got Chance Robinson, the really talented player out of St. Thomas Aquinas, the former school of Camden Brown. You've got Mike Matthews, who visited yesterday. You're saying to these guys. Look, man, especially these guys, these are all wide receivers that are like 6'2 and above, mm-hmm. which is what Hugh Freeze is looking for. You're saying, we don't have a lot of you know what you guys are right now at wide receiver, and that's what we need. And you guys can come in and play right away. Um, and that's a good point to DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, Laquan I'm, Treadwell, Van Jefferson. There's, I'm waiting yeah. for, for those guys to show up to Auburn's practices like <laughs> Laramie Tunsil did, did the other day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the Hugh Freeze's track record, I mean, it seems like Auburn's got a pretty strong sales pitch, and I, everything I've heard about Marcus Davis sounds like he's a young, energetic guy that's making a lot of great impressions. Do you see Auburn able to land one of these five stars, maybe, or multiple of these highly rated guys in this twenty-three class or twenty-four class? Yeah, you know, that's the thing I've been saying a little bit is. I think your tier one, just absolute elite of the elite guys are Cam Coleman, Perry Thompson, Mike Matthews. If you can go one for three on those guys, you're in a great spot, you know, as you're as getting your wide receiver one. And I think Auburn will go one for three. Uh, my money is it a right total now, pipe dream for Auburn to get two out of three? No, I don't think so. But I would, I would put Cam Coleman as number one most likely. I'd put Perry Thompson as number two, and then I'd put Mike Matthews um, as number three out of those guys. I think guys. that's probably fair with um, the fact that he's the out-of-state guy. Yeah, makes out, sense. out-of-state, and I just think Auburn's playing you know, so much catch-up there on other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think it's feasible that Auburn could get Cam Coleman and could get Perry Thompson. Um, and if you manage to get those two guys, you have an incredible one-two duo there at the top. 
And then if you want to go try and get, you know, Chance Robinson from St. Thomas Aquinas, Nick Marsh from Michigan, um, if you want to take a slot guy in this class, you would go up the road to Clay Chalkville and try and go get Mario Craver. Um, and so I think Auburn is positioned in a really good spot to have a strong um, wide receiver class in the 2024 class. And it's out of necessity, um, but I think Auburn's in a good spot there. Yeah, I think it's it's exciting to see Auburn in the mix for so many five-star receivers. Uh, we know Auburn hasn't had the best track record with developing those guys, but it's a new day under Hugh Freeze. We need to get to our next break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk a little bit Auburn recruiting here on On the Line. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back uh, to On the Line, this Thursday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio, joined by Christian Clemente of Auburn 247. And we've been talking a lot about Auburn recruiting. And I guess I want to dive into the latest Auburn commit, because we've talked about him a few times because it felt like forever he was going to be the next Auburn commit and it just <laughs> kept kind of just the can kept getting kicked down the road and then finally Fat Burnett Jamarian Fat Burnett the number two running back in the state of Alabama joined Auburn's commitment list and Christian what does that do for this class now that you have a quarterback and a running back on board uh, and and just how big of a pickup is that for this Auburn staff yeah Let's start with like the running back room. Um, he brings something that Auburn doesn't have at running back and hasn't had in quite some time, to be honest. Um, we were just talking about it. Cam Petway was probably the last running back similar to him. And Cam Petway was an H-back for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah, because um, Fat Burnett, 6'1", 6'2"-ish, kind of right around there, and 220, 230, somewhere in there right now. So really big, really physical back. Obviously he's not going to be the fastest guy ever, um, but he's got quality speed for his size. Um, and then he's a very between the tackles, very physical runner. Um, and when you look at Auburn's 2024 class, Cadillac Williams has gone on record and said, you know, we're taking, or the plan is to take two running backs, mm-hmm. this class. So it makes perfect sense because fat Burnett is whoever you pair him with. He's pretty much a perfect compliment because you have your one A one B there. You know he he said to me. Um, I asked him. You know who else are you? Who are you recruiting to play with? And he said Kevin Riley, who's mm-hmm. the number one running back in the state. Um, I think he's listed at like five ten, five eleven ish, one ninety somewhere. Yeah, there. five five eleven, one ninety five on two four seven. I got to pull it up right here in front of me because I'm looking at the fact that it feels like the entire top twelve in the state of Alabama have been on Auburn's campus in the last two weeks yeah. as well. Yeah, Kevin Riley's probably the only one that hasn't, and he'll be here for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those two are really perfect compliments. Kevin Riley's can go between the tackles, but maybe a little bit more shifty, a little bit more outside the tackles. Um, he doesn't do it a whole lot in high school, but I think he could be a really, really, really good pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, and Fat Burnett, that's not something he really does. Mm-hmm. So those two think could be a really great compliment could if you, you can see land Kevin Riley if you were to land both of them if Auburn was to land both of these guys could you see both on the field at once like Kevin Riley lined up wide <laughs> and Fat Burnett in the backfield or both in the backfield together you could probably do some of that with packages and stuff like mm-hmm. that um, but that then just in terms of the class like big picture I mean Auburn's four for four on having four stars committed 
and all four of them are in the top 247, um, which is our rankings for like the top 247 mm-hmm. players in the country. Um, Walker White is your highest rated commit, I think followed by Fat Burnett and then Amon Lane and then Jaden Lewis in that order. Um, but you know, it's good. You see the emphasis. We've heard it from recruit. You know, Hugh Freeze has said it, and we've heard it from recruits as well, saying that the message to them is Auburn wants to protect the borders. Auburn wants to win the state of Alabama. They want to emphasize this area heavily. I mean, I think it was Mario Craver we were talking to that said, you know, the state of Alabama is a huge emphasis for Hugh Freeze. Um, and that's part of a big reason why he likes Mario Craver so much. Um, so Auburn has three. Uh, you know, three of its commitments are in-state guys. Mm-hmm. And now from here on, you've got two guys defensively. We've seen Amon Lane and Jaden Lewis recruiting a little bit. We've seen Walker White recruiting a lot on Twitter. Um, and now we've seen Fat Burnett doing it as well. I think he's tweeted at Demarcus Riddick, the five-star Georgia linebacker commit out of Chilton County, um, and Perry Thompson, who we had just talked about a little bit earlier, the five-star Alabama wide receiver commit out of Foley. How important is it to get guys kind of in the boat early uh, who can be vocal and be almost extra recruiting staffers on the trail, like especially when it's a quarterback and a highly rated running back, a couple of like kind of lightning rod positions that I feel like can move the needle some. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think quarterback is obviously the biggest one. Absolutely. Quarterbacks are always going to be the leader of the class in that sense just because everyone – you know, defensively, you want to know you've got a good quarterback on the other side, and obviously, offensively, you want to know who's getting you the ball or who's handing you the ball or who you blocking for, whatever. Um, and so, Walker White has been fantastic in that role. Um, and you know, quarterbacks are just, I would say, I guess, more publicized, a little bit more well known. So, everyone, a lot of people already knew kind of who Walker White was even before he committed to Auburn. And then, I, I just think another big thing would just be you know, word spreads, even not necessarily. You know, commitments definitely helps. You see, you know, kids will see the buzz on Twitter and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But even word spreads of just, you know, kids coming on visits and people saying a lot of good things about Auburn and you get some momentum in that sense. And just, you know, kids might just want to come and visit Auburn. They might want to come see Auburn. Um, And that's that's less of a that's more of me going on a tangent. But like Dukes, Philip Dukes has talked about it a lot. The city of Atlanta, a lot of these kids talk to each other and Mm -hmm. they're looking at it like, Hey, what's going on at Auburn over there? KJ Bolden's saying a lot of good things about Auburn. What's going on over there? Or, you know, Auburn just got Tyler Scott and Terrence Love and Colton Hood. Why are they going to Auburn? You know, mm-hmm. what's happening at Auburn? Was it was it KJ Bolden that called his visit to Auburn everything? Wasn't there who was it that that had that quote? It was a highly ranked guy. Uh mm-hmm. and I just thought it was a very interesting quote. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I just don't remember who it was. But when you look at, I guess, some of these targets, you know a lot of guys are as you've said, coming in for A-Day. Just how big of a recruiting weekend is that? Is that going to be when Auburn picks up its next commitment? And if you had to pick a guy or two, who would be? Who would you be on the lookout for for that next commitment to be the fifth member of the 2024 Auburn class? Yeah, I do think Auburn is hoping that its next commitment would probably be A-Day weekend. If I had to guess, they've kind of layered things out well, you know, where you got, you had the big junior day, and then a few days later, you get Malik Autry and you get Jaden Lewis. Shortly after that, you get Walker White. Now kind of reaching middle-ish, two-thirds point of spring, you pick up another commitment in Fat Burnett, and then you'd hope to end the spring with another commitment. If I had to pick a name or two, ooh, that's tough. Martavius Collins is definitely an option. That tight end formerly committed to Alabama. More of kind of an H-back, um, but can split out and play tight end as well. 
Auburn does want to take two tight ends this class, so it makes sense if you get him and then you get another really versatile tight end, more of a true kind of hybrid pass catcher. So I would look at him. I would look at Joseph Phillips as well, the four-star edge out of Booker T. Washington just down the road in Tuskegee. He's kind of he's torn right now. Um, he really, really likes Auburn, but he's picked up a ton of interest, and he's been taking a lot of visits this spring to go see other schools. He said he wants he had kind of originally planned and wanted to commit at the end of March. Then he wanted to take his official visits. And then he said the last time he visited Auburn, which was just a week or two ago, um, he said, you know, I still kind of want to commit by the end of March or by April or so, but I also kind of want to take my official visits. So those are two potential options as well. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. But I definitely would not rule out a commitment during A-Day. It's going to be a massive the biggest story, and I'm not just saying this because I cover recruiting, I think the biggest story of A-Day will be the massive visitor list and all the recruits that they'll have there. Is there? Do you have any idea like what a number would be at this point, or are we still like, is there an expectation in your mind right now? Not really, but it just seems like every kid that we talk to that's visited that's at least in the general area of Auburn, you know, obviously these kids that visit from Michigan or South Carolina aren't going to be like, or North Carolina or whatever aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to be back for a day cause that's a trek. Um, but a lot of these in-state Alabama guys, a lot of the Georgia guys, even some of the Florida guys have said either I'm going to, I'm going to be at a day or I'm mm-hmm. planning to be at a day. So I, I, you know, I would not be surprised if you see 25 plus like blue chip prospects all there. I would not be shocked by that. You know, we'll have to see that's a total kind of shot in the dark, but yeah, I would I would expect at least like 20, 15 to 20, I would expect quality guys there for the game. And then from there, it could be a little bit more. I got you. Well, in the team rankings right now, Auburn's ranked around, I think, 22nd. What do you think the ceiling is for this class? Because to me, it feels like Auburn's in the fight for a lot more people than I was expecting at this point in time in this cycle. How high can Hugh Freeze and the staff push this class? ceiling for me would probably be like four or five i think you realistically wow you have a chance where you could get that high i Um, thought you were gonna say like six or seven so four or five wow no i think really optimistically like you could get to four or five i think the more realistic option um i think this class can hover anywhere from like seven to twelve and you would feel really really good about where this class is Mm-hmm. Um, if Auburn cracks the top 15, which I expect them to do personally. Is that kind of like your floor expectation as top 15 at this if point? If you're outside the top 15, I'm not going to be concerned because we know that Auburn is behind in this class, mm-hmm. but I want to see Auburn inside the top 15. And I think that's not okay. unrealistic to say. No, I think that's 100% fair. I mean, if Auburn flips a couple of these commitments to other schools that have been on campus or lands a uh, big fish like a Cam Coleman. I think you're going to start to see uh, other other people jumping in the boat. Uh, I think it, there's a lot of potential there. Kind of transitioning to, I guess the the transfer portal side of things because we know that with the the way college football works, you always are evaluating the roster, looking to add people. You're going to have transfers out. We've talked about that uh, wide receiver position, maybe not up to standards. Quarterbacks. A little bit of a question mark, although it does sound like Holden Gurner is uh, making a little bit of progress and is starting to stand out a little bit. When you look at the May transfer portal period, 
What are what are some areas, some position groups that you think Auburn is going to be targeting? Uh, let's go through each position. Quarterback. No matter what, I expect Auburn to get a quarterback. Whether it's could it be two. That's possible, but I would. I think that would take someone on the current roster leaving, which is also possible. But that's just. I. I, I don't know. Um, for quarterback, it's whether or not you're going after a true starter or are you going after a Grant Loy and you're just bringing in a kind of a true backup just to bring some depth to that room. That's what remains to be seen. I, I just have a gut feeling Auburn's going to go get a starting caliber guy because I just – I would agree, yeah. I don't think the first person to take a snap in 2023 is one of these three guys right now. That's just my opinion. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I could see it. I don't know. I definitely expect Auburn – I would lean more towards Auburn at least getting a guy they feel like can compete for the starting job. Um, running back, you're good. Wide receiver, would not be shocked if they go and get two wide receivers, um, but definitely at least one. Tight end, you're good. Offensive line, they're going to bring in another guy, probably a tackle. Because um, Colby, really? Colby Smith has been playing inside a little bit more. Um, okay. So I think they're going to want another tackle there. He's got to be enormous on the inside. He's like six yeah. eight, right? I think he's like six eight. Yeah. <laughs> um, defensive line. I think you're probably pretty good on the interior of the defensive line. I would agree. I think they did a great job, kind of shoring that up. And you still have. Uh, and you're so big. <laughs> and you still have uh, the JUCO Jamison Travis coming in mm-hmm. as well. Uh, edge, you're going to bring in probably a guy or two. Probably lean more towards two there. Uh, linebacker, I wouldn't okay. be shocked if they go after one more guy. And I also would not rule them out of going to get another guy in the secondary as well, as crazy as that sounds. If Are you right viewing that as more of there. a safety or a corner? Because it feels like corner I, is like all of a sudden really deep with Kane Lee playing the way he is. Um, I don't know, but I just would not rule out. They went after a guy in the secondary after they had already signed all of these guys. In the first portal window, they went after somebody <laughs> Didn't go after him super heavy, so I just I wouldn't rule out okay secondary yeah, of getting I mean, one more guy. At one point, it felt like Auburn was going to be running like a three eight with just eight DBs back there with the amount of talent that Zach Etheridge was bringing in the door. Um, let's go ahead and take our break, and then we will talk a little bit of Auburn basketball and what's going on with uh, the transfer portal there. Uh, so don't miss that here on On the Line. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the final segment of On the Line here this Thursday. Carter Bird joined by Christian Clemente uh, in the Auburn Network studio. Christian, we spent so much time talking uh, about Auburn football recruiting. I do think that uh, given this time of year and the madness that is basketball recruiting and the transfer portal, we do need to bring that up. Um, First off, are you surprised at the two guys that have entered the portal for Auburn? Uh, And how do you see that, I guess, affecting Auburn's strategy in the portal going forward? I am surprised by Chance Westry. Um, I am too a little bit. You know, it was something was poorly communicated where the day before they tweeted a video of him on a stationary bike and said the future or whatever it was somewhere there was some poor communication there about his potential future within the program um although i have heard it was kind of a surprise that he did decide to enter the portal now when you look at his high school he bounced around to a lot of different high schools yeah he was at three schools in three years i do believe right i think it might have been four Ah. but so it's there is some of that history there so when you look at it it's not overly surprising um 
Yohan was not as overly surprising because it seems kind of like Janai Broom and Jalen Williams will be back. And then it's like, okay, well, where does Yohan fit in? And he's kind of at the point now where how how long does he want to sit on the bench and try and develop yeah. a practice? At one point, does he go to St. John's or some Rutgers, you know, whatever, some school that's on the bubble competing for a tournament and mm-hmm. just needs a guy and has the luxury of, you know, being able to throw him out there for 30 minutes a game, mm-hmm. trial by fire. I, I do with, I mean, with chance it made sense why things played out the way that there was a little more of a, you can understand why it didn't work out as much as it did because of the injury. Yoan is one that will forever kind of sit in my brain as I don't know why (laughs) this didn't work. It just, it it just looked like the game was so fast for him. I've compared it to, he looked like a little bit of a baby giraffe or baby deer out there. (laughs) Like, like just a little wobbly at times trying to process what all was going on. But, uh, when you look at the basketball transfer portal right now, what do you see? Like, what kind of players do you see Hugh Freeze and or, well, <laughs> Bruce Pearl and this staff adding? Uh, and what are some names to maybe be on the lookout for? Yeah, I think a lot still remains to be seen with this current roster. Does Wendell Green Jr. come back? Does Katie Johnson come back? Does Alan Flanagan come back? I would lean towards no on Alan Flanagan. The other two, I truly don't know, to be just completely honest. Um, but you know, from there, then you have to look at the guards. You know, I don't think you need to bring in a point guard whether Wendell Green Jr. leaves or decides to stay because you'll have Aiden Holloway and he seemingly good on Trey, Tuesday, yeah, by the way. and Trey Donaldson back, it seems like, as well. So you mm-hmm. feel pretty good about the point guard position there. I think no matter what, Auburn is going to go after a two-guard or two. Um, mm-hmm. Denver Jones, who was at FIU, I believe. Yeah, he's a 20-point-a-game guy there, too. Yeah, and originally from the state of Alabama, that's someone Auburn has already you know, been in contact with pretty heavily. And maybe the most exciting thing, he's like a 37% three-point shooter, yes. which, God, Auburn could use some of those. Yeah, so you're definitely going to get a two-guard. I think no matter what, you're going to get a three. Well, if Alan Flanagan comes back, maybe not, but I don't expect him to. Um, you know, There's that kid from Rice that they've been in contact with as well, whose name mm-hmm. I truly don't Quincy remember. Olivari that sounds right it's de- yeah Olivari is definitely right don't remember the first name I think I think it's Quincy yeah um and then in the front court now you're probably gonna have to get a guy now that Yohan is gone yeah you probably gotta get four unless you roll with that late lineup in the year where you saw Chris Moore playing a really small backup four well there's a chance you know he could leave too. there's just so much unknown about this current team you know Dylan Cardwell does he decide to come back does he decide to leave yeah so a lot remains to be seen. What you do know for certain, though, is Auburn's going to go after a two-guard. Um, and a scoring, a bigger scoring two-guard who can shoot the ball, that's kind of what they're looking for. That's what they've been lacking. Um, so I think that's, you know for a fact right now, that's a high priority. How imperative do you think it is for Auburn to go add multiple shooters? Because it'll take so much pressure, in my mind, off of Janai Broom. Because with how bad of a shooting team Auburn has been, Everybody could, could kind of collapse on him and be really physical, make make life difficult on him. How much could that free up Jalen Williams and Janai Broom down low? Yeah, I think that's huge. I think Bruce Pearl knows that. Um, I was just talking about this the other day with someone. Uh, you know, Bruce Pearl and Auburn basketball have had some tough breaks to the point where the roster has not worked out kind of how they wanted it to. You know, obviously you felt like you were going to have Trey Alexander and then he departs um, because you try and bring in Desi Sills. And then he doesn't work out because of academics. So you bring in Katie Johnson. 
you kind of thought maybe you would have another year out of Sharif Cooper and he leaves early. So things have kind of shifted around and they've had to adapt on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it kind of caught up to Auburn in a sense, I guess I would say. And now Auburn is – they know what they need in the portal this cycle. I don't think Auburn fans should have any reason to doubt Auburn. And the work that they've done in the portal over the past couple of years supports that theory in my mind. Walker Kessler was fantastic. Janai Broom has been fantastic. Wendell Green, for what you brought him in for, I think has been really good. And he could continue to be good um, if he decides to stay. Katie Johnson has been an interesting one, but he's been, yeah. you know, he's been good. At, definitely been really good at times as well. Um, Zepp Jasper kind of got a lot of hate there towards the end at some points, but you knew what you were bringing him in for, um, and he was Defense, good for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I think Auburn has solidified itself as a very strong team in terms of scouting the transfer portal. They're already doing that really heavily this cycle, um, and we're going to have to wait and see, obviously, what happens with the current guys on the roster mm-hmm. and where they go from there. But they know what they still need to add to this team yeah i mean it's gonna be exciting it feels like basketball this period time period everything can change on a dime there's it's almost like 50 percent excitement 50 percent fear because like you could hit all these home runs and improve so much but you could also just collapse on itself <laughs> at the same time uh christian who you got winning the uh national championship out of the final four and did you have Montana State winning it all in your bracket i did in one of my brackets yes <laughs> which is actually one of my better brackets still uh, in terms of points, which is not a good thing. Um, although in one weird year, weird in, year in one bracket, I do have UConn, so that is fantastic. Okay, and uh, the beat. Some of us got together and we did like a draft where we all kind of drafted teams, snake draft. I like that. And I drafted UConn, so I've got a really good chance there as well. So I'm rooting for the Huskies. Um, love me some Huskies now. Big Adama Sonogo fan. So. Hoping they win. I honestly do think they win. Um, they have just looked like an absolute juggernaut so far. But so has Miami. So that'll be a really fun matchup on uh, Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the Final Four. I People have tried to act like it's going to be the worst thing ever. I think it's kind of exciting to see different schools in there. Yes. Just a change of pace. Not like last year where you had four Blue Buds. Christian, thank you for joining us, man. Where can everybody keep track of you and everything you're doing? Yeah, over at AuburnUndercover.com and then uh, on Twitter at CClemente247. That's going to do it for us here today on On the Line. We will be back tomorrow. Jacob will be back, and we will uh, talk, I guess, whatever's happening on opening day, baseball, and then uh, Auburn baseball as well. See you next time. (laughs) 